AM 790 Talk and Business presents Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island with your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Join Bronwyn to hear about the next water fire event in downtown Providence, plus other great cultural events happening in the community. Now, here's your host, Bronwyn Dannenfelser. Well, and good afternoon and welcome to Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island, the newest one-hour talk show and ent- entertainment program on AM790, your station for talk and business. And every Wednesday, we will be here bringing you behind the scenes and giving you some highlights of what's to come at the upcoming lightings. Um, we've got a really wonderful lighting coming up this Saturday, and I am joined by my co-host, the artistic director, Barnaby Evans of Water Fire. Hello. Hello, Brahman, and hello, everybody. Delighted to be here. I know. What a beautiful day outside, huh? It is. And I hear it's going to be just as beautiful this upcoming Saturday when we have our next lighting. It's going to be gorgeous this Saturday. Very 82 and low of 64. Should be very nice. Perfect weather. Perfect weather for a great night and great cause. And and today we've got a great show because we'll be giving you an exciting preview of the very special water fire this weekend, um, which is all about... C is for Cure, and it's a water fire lighting for Rhode Island defeats Hep C, and we've got an incredible guest with us today. Um, her name is Dr. Lynn Taylor. She's from Rhode Island uh, defeats Hep C, and Dr. Taylor was awarded a Rhode Island Innovation Fellowship entitled Rhode Island defeats Hep C. Uh, she is a viral hepatitis, HIV, AIDS, and primary care physician focusing on prevention and treatment of HCV and hepatitis B viruses in vul- vulnerable populations and on primary care um, of people living with HIV. So just an amazing uh, body of work. I've met you and been talking to you now for months, and I've got to tell you, probably one of the most amazing women I have ever met. Well, thank you for saying that, Bronwyn. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Barnaby Evans and Waterfire. It is such a privilege to be here today, and thank you to AM790. Um, I'm inspired every day by people that I get to take care of who are living with hepatitis C and fighting hepatitis C and striving to be cured. So this is an incredible opportunity to raise awareness about this silent and very important epidemic that's peaking now in the United States and globally. I do want to begin by thanking John and Letitia Carter and the Rhode Island Foundation for the Rhode Island Defeats Hep C Innovation Fellowship, which has really facilitated this water fire lighting on Saturday. Well, I know, and what we, you know, when you, I think it was about a year ago, you were on the road show and you announced we're having a water fire next year and we're just going to take Hep C and we're going to let people be aware. There, there are so many misconceptions about um, Hep C and there's uh, so much information that needs to be relayed. Uh, one of the most amazing things that I remember when I first met you that you said to me was one in every 30 baby boomers uh, has the HCV virus, which is. That is true, and it is surprising. Every day people say, well, you know, Lynn, you must be exaggerating. It can't really be this common. It can't really be such a big problem. Otherwise, we would hear more about it. And in fact, the CDC has just, in the last year, shared with us that, in fact, as you mentioned, one in 30 people, baby boomers, that is people born from 1945 to 1965, has hepatitis C. So this is and, really and everyone's issue. And don't realize they have it. That's one of the key, it's this is one of the sort of hidden epidemic issues is that the disease is there and now we have some very uh, very successful cures but many people don't have symptoms so they don't realize they're a carrier. Yeah, thank you so much Bonnie for for making that important point. That is one of the reasons among many why we call hepatitis C the silent epidemic because 
we don't feel anything when we catch right. this infection. And then for many years, we feel fine. And the only way any one of us will know that we harbor hepatitis C is by getting a very simple, quick, safe test. But it's estimated by the CDC, and this is probably a conservative estimate, that three-quarters of Americans with hepatitis C are unaware. And so yeah. it's so common. We all have a grandparent, a parent, a sibling, a coworker, a neighbor. We all have someone in our lives with hepatitis C. So we really appreciate the opportunity to get the word out so we can all go, those of us who are baby boomers especially, and get tested. What is it about the baby boomer generation that has exposed that generation to hep C more than others? So we did not know about this virus until 1989. So that those of us growing up in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, lived at a time where we didn't have infection control practices. Hepatitis C is not transmitted, not spread at all through casual contact. It can't be spread through touching one another or hugging or kissing or sharing eating utensils or toilet seats. But during all those years when hepatitis C was around, there could have been medical practices that spread the infection. When people got colonoscopies, when people got blood transfusions, we didn't test the blood supply for hepatitis C till 1992. It really wasn't until 89 when we learned about the virus and 92 when the blood supply was tested that we could implement practices that would stop the spread in many medical and other types of settings. And what I wanted to reinforce here is although it's symptom-free and can be symptom-free for many years, when symptoms do arrive, um, it can be lead to death. It could be a very complicated and difficult disease to treat until recently. We have some good solutions. So, But I think once the symptoms arrive, it's a little late to intervene. That's, That's why it's right. so important to know now. That's right. That's one of the cruel aspects of this disease is that by the time we feel things, by the time people say, hey, you know what? Why are my legs getting so swollen? And of course, our legs can be swollen for other reasons. Or why are the whites of my eyes turning yellow? Or why is my belly getting so big? And of course, there are a lot of other reasons why our belly can be getting swollen. But by the time we feel these things, it may be that we're finding the disease in very advanced form. And we do see people frequently coming to the hospital with bleeding and cancer of the liver, all these very late complications of hepatitis C that could have been prevented had we detected the illness in the stage where we had no symptoms. So it's very wonderful that we can get the word out so people can find out early on and get cured, very beneficial. Cure lowers the chance that we'll develop any of these late-stage complications, including liver cancer and liver-related illness. And I, I think that word cure is really what I'd like to focus on a little bit because there's been some incredible breakthroughs in treatment and in the and drugs. And I know it's been a lot in the news recently, but what was it? Interferon used to be the treatment before? Or? Absolutely. We have really been thwarted in treatments for hepatitis C. As a matter of fact, even a few years ago, if you said hepatitis C was curable, you were considered a quack. People didn't even accept that right. a virus could That's be right. cured with medication. All that we had, we had one choice for treatment. And, of course, nobody, you know, one size never fits all with health and illness and wellness. We need many options for different individuals. All we had was interferon, which is a very toxic, difficult, often dangerous injection that we had to give to people once a week for up to a year. Right. 
Right. And I have With certainly... With many complications absolutely. and difficult for people to stay on schedule. And Even if we watch people closely, and I've certainly had patients say, hey, Dr. Taylor, the treatment wasn't that bad, but you were a pain in the neck <laughs> the way you monitored me so closely. Even with the best care, we cause harm. I've had people had to be hospitalized. People can die from interferon. And then after all of this, this very rocky course, when you're asking someone who feels great and feels nothing to take a treatment that can make your hair fall out, make you depressed, make you homicidal, very difficult things, at the end of it, most people didn't get cured. Right. It didn't have a, that successful cure rate. But this has completely changed. Uh, this is, I just want to go back to the problem's uh, initial opening there. This was two, several years ago. Now we have some very effective treatments. Absolutely, and really this is the first year in history that we can celebrate achievements in hepatitis C. This is the first year in the world that we have pills alone without the dreaded interferon injections that can cure most people most of the time. So I am grateful to all the companies and all the scientists working so hard to develop these new groundbreaking drugs, and I am grateful to Gilead for sponsoring Waterfire. And their medication, among others, is just as close to a miracle drug as anything I've ever seen. And it's such a joy as a physician to see my patients all week, people who've been on interferon one year, two years, three years, taking the pills and feeling great and getting cured. Well, you know, and I, I think we've, um, we're going to have to take a break in a little while, but one of the things that we're doing down at the lighting on Saturday is there will be a place for people to go down and get tested. For free screening. Free yeah, screening. Free screening for hepatitis C uh, for anyone 18 or older. Uh, it's been made possible by a variety of people in the medical community. Um, what's the group that's providing the test? The so screening? I'd like to thank the support of the Rhode Island Department right. of Health. Right. And AIDS Care Ocean State, led right. by Paul Fitzgerald and the head of prevention, Ray Joseph, Oz Lugo. We also have Dr. Amy Nunn and the Rhode Island Public Health Institute and Dr. Philip Chan from the Miriam Hospital collaborating together to provide hepatitis C testing. Yeah. Very quick. Free, free of charge, free very of quick. Charge. Um, and uh, they'll take your information. They'll notify your doctor. It's, yeah. uh, it's a, a free opportunity, and this was the essence of what we were really trying to do was trying to figure out how to open a new dialogue about a disease which not enough people know about and now has a very bright future. And so when we come back, we're going to be telling people a little bit more about everything going on this Saturday. Uh, C is for cure. Remember that. You're listening to AM 790 and Water Fire Ignites Rhode Island. Hello, 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 and welcome back. You are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island on AM 790 Talk in Business. I am here with Barnaby Evans and Dr. Lynn Taylor, and we are talking all about hepatitis C, uh, C for cure, Rhode Island hepatitis defeats. I mean, we defeats Rhode Island. What is it? C is for cure, Rhode Island defeats, Rhode Island defeats hep, hep C. C. There we and go. actually, Dr. Taylor, I'd love to talk a little bit about this interesting thing that uh, John and Letitia Carter did, the Innovation Fellowship, which you applied for a year and a half ago. Yes. And this is a program to promote interesting ideas that people in Rhode Island might use to change the community. 
and it's very selective. There were something like 200 applicants, and there were two grants given. Um, and your idea was about really making a change in how this disease is uh, perceived, understood, and treated in Rhode Island. And I'd love to hear just a little bit more about how you phrase that and what your goal is over this year and the next three years. Sure, absolutely. Well, one of the other key components with the Rhode Island Innovation Fellowship was that we had to work to save money for Rhode Island and Rhode Islanders. And so a big goal here is to develop strategic, comprehensive, sustainable approaches to combating hepatitis C in Rhode Island so that we don't end up spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on liver transplants and on the very late complications. We want to avert this economic disaster. Of course, we care about people's wellness and preventing suffering. But if we get involved now earlier on in the continuum of care in preventing, in diagnosing, in treating, in curing, that we can save Rhode Island and Rhode Islanders millions of dollars. And and managing this whole uh, understanding and expectation and public intervention, because although it's symptomless for a while, this is one of those stitch-in-time saves nine sort of situations that uh, this uh, there's been some controversy because these new drugs involved a lot of research, and hence there was cost in creating them. But the cost of the drugs is far less than the cost of the complications, which we would have to treat anyway, with much better outcome for the patients. They can be cured and be healthy rather than being in a fairly um, compromised situation. Yes, and that's why we have many different goals with Rhode Island Defeats Hep C, including keeping Rhode Island up to date with the very rapidly evolving best practices for hepatitis C testing and curative treatment. Most physicians don't know a lot about hepatitis C. It's not that complicated a virus. The virology is actually simpler than the virology of, say, hepatitis B or HIV. But we didn't get hepatitis C training in medical school and in residency. It really wasn't considered important or curable. And so, therefore, we're educating the medical community, the public health community, through the fellowship as we built up to our fire this Saturday night with the help of the uh, Rhode Island Innovation Fellowship, we were able to put on a conference at the Providence Omni on May 16th, which brought in leaders from around the United States on the economics of hepatitis C, on policies, on the new pills, and ways to strategically build a program in a state. And we really do have an opportunity in such a small collaborative state with so many educational institutions and great medical expertise to make every institution a hepatitis C institution. So we want to keep people up to date with the evolving treatments, the medical community, as well as people who have hepatitis C. We want to develop very well thought out, deliberate structure to deliver hepatitis C care. And this involves changing medical records, electronic systems, harnessing technology at all the medical systems in Rhode Island to get the baby boomers screened. This involves developing on-site care for high prevalence populations. So for example, I have the wonderful privilege of working with colleagues at Kodak Behavioral Health, Rhode Island's only nonprofit methadone maintenance program, where I'm able to provide on-site hepatitis C care. We are working to foster hepatitis C research in Rhode Island. The federal funding for research is not abundant for hepatitis C, but through creating more expertise and collaboration with many of our scientific and medical institutions, we can become more competitive and we can compete then for the CDC and other grants that we haven't been able to before. So we're going to develop these strategic 
partnerships in Rhode Island with amongst our organizations. And one of the things you did is the July issue of the journal, the Rhode Island Medical Journal has a whole section about hepatitis C. It's the bulk of the issue. So that is available electronically and at the fire on July 26 at the resource tent area. We'll be providing people with a link to the journal. And we are very fortunate that so many different stakeholders around Rhode Island contributed. So we're grateful to the health department led by Dr. Michael Fine and Dr. Nicole Alexander-Scott. The health department wrote a piece about their strategic approach to hepatitis C. We had Dr. Brandon Marshall from the new public health school at Brown with Elizabeth Kennard and an economist, Omar Galarraga, modeled the first ever estimates of how many people in Rhode Island actually have hepatitis C. And we estimate, and I again think this is a conservative estimate, that about 17,000 Rhode Islanders have hepatitis C. This is the first time we've ever really had a picture of that. So we had articles about preventing hepatitis C, led by Paul Fitzgerald and Ray Joseph. So a whole array of articles that people in the public can access. And part of uh, what we'll be doing at Waterfire this coming Saturday we will have free screening for anyone. So if you know someone who's a baby boomer or anyone 18 and older, um, it's an important thing to know. The results will give, be given to your doctor. And then you'll, um, you know, the responsibility of care will transfer over to your doctor, but there'll be a thoughtful, um, you know, a data point that's important for your future health. And again, that'll be happening on College Street that'll Bridge. That'll be happening on the College Street Bridge uh, from 6 p.m. to 11 p.m on July 26th. And there will also be great resource tents there that will um, more information, as Lynn was just saying, or Dr. Taylor was just saying. Um, you know, Stop on in. Learn a yeah, little we're gonna bit. We're going to have eight tents with information from uh, the Brown Medical School, from Gilead, from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Also, we have two uh, organ transplants, the Rhode Island Blood Association. Blood Society, I think it is. That's right. And we have materials, for example, from the CDC right. um, in many different languages. We are so grateful that the head of viral hepatitis surveillance from the CDC, Dr. Yeah, Scott Homer, is yeah. coming up from Atlanta to lead our torch procession. Yeah, and um, uh, he'll be doing that, but he's also very interested in a statewide effort to make progress in this. I think this is the first state that's done this. Yes. Uh, I think this is probably the first arts group that's uh, started to look at this issue, and I think it's a, it's a good example of innovative ways to get the message out, but innovative ways to provide public education and interaction over what could be a very serious health issue. And we do want to use the arts community in Rhode Island. That's one of the very beautiful and unique aspects of life here in Rhode Island. So in addition to this great opportunity, Barnaby, with you, we began Rhode Island Defeats Hep C with a poster competition whereby RISD artist Shepard Ferry was the judge of a poster competition. And we had two art students in Rhode Island that he selected. It was, of course, a blinded competition. Haywood Gatch, the fourth, who happened to be a graphic artist student at Johnson & Wales, won the first prize competition. And his poster design is being used for conferences and articles. And our second prize winner selected by Shepard Ferry is Brandon Bruzzi, who designed the T-shirt that I'm now wearing, Rhode Island Defeats Hep C., and our volunteers and our torchlighters will be wearing them and will be selling them And they'll be available for sale, absolutely, on Saturday to help spread this message even wider. Yeah, and so the, and from a part of the proceeds from the sales of these T-shirts go back to a foundation to help with research and development? Yes, go back right back to Rhode Island Defeats Epsi. Excellent. To help the program get the word out. Other things we're doing, we're giving out forget-me-not seeds with reminders to send to people uh, that have information about hepatitis C and some websites where they can learn more. And I believe the State House Dome is going to be uh, deep 
deep yellow on uh, from Friday for a week to help bring attention to these issues. That's just cool. <laughs> I think that's an image that will be beamed around the world. Yeah, yeah exactly. And you know, being World Hepatitis Day on the 28th. Isn't that the day? Then yep. Yes. July 28th. So yep. we did it first on the 26th, you know. So <laughs> That's Dr. Taylor, thank That's you so much for coming in and talking to us. And we cannot wait to see you on Saturday. Thank and, you um, all so much for this wonderful opportunity. You're listening to AM790, Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island. We'll be right back. Dr. Taylor, I think this has been very interesting to learn so much about this disease and the changes that's happening in it. But this is mainly a good news story. We have a very successful cure. We have a test that we're doing free screening for at Waterfire. We have a series of engagements to try to bring more attention to and information about the disease to people. And I want to thank you for your efforts in making this possible. But I, tell, tell us how this really is a good news story. The wonderful news is that treatments for hepatitis C are getting better and better and better. And over the next one, two, three years, we are going to have one pill once a day in four weeks, and almost 100% of people will be cured almost 100% of the time. So it's important that people know that this is not an emergency. It's not a disease you easily get, but it's something that you may have encountered in your past, and we want to help you with your medical future to have your doctors realize that. Right, and it's not a death sentence for most people. Most people die with hepatitis C, not of hepatitis C. We cannot pass hepatitis C or catch hepatitis C through casual contact at all. Good. And Barnaby, I think that we've got a caller on the line that's got a question for Dr. Taylor. Um, So, hello? Hello. Hi, how are you today? Uh, So far, so good, but it's early yet. All right, and how can we help you? Uh, I simply want to thank the good doctor. Uh, I'm especially, uh, because I have a brother with uh, hepatitis C, I'm a Presbyterian minister and a clinical psychologist, and I also uh, teach a course in post-trauma stress disorder, um, recovery and suicide at Yale Medical School. Um, I would like to know, um, um, Dr. Taylor, um, what are... um, what are, uh, so far at least, the policy coming out of the VETS administration uh, regarding um, hepatitis C? Uh, my own uh, experience clinically at Yale is that a number of suicides are, in fact, related to uh, etiology connected to depression and interferon. So, um, so that's a, that's a boat load for you. So I wish your brother all the very best, and again, his future is very bright, and he should talk to his doctors about some of the new pills that will be available. The VA, the Veterans Administration, is the largest provider of hepatitis C care in the United States, and they are at the forefront. They are on the cutting edge. The VAs in the United States are doing a wonderful job with hepatitis C. Um, There's wonderful leadership in Connecticut, your VA. We have wonderful leadership here with Dr. Melissa Gaitanis and Kittichai Promwet. Dr. Norbert Broy from the Bronx VA, for example, just came here to meet with us, and the VA is negotiating down prices for some of these new medications. The VA has the best electronic medical record in the country. They're systematically screening, identifying, and treating people with hepatitis C. 
So I think things will only get better and better for veterans. Um, the, the VA is doing a beautiful job and will continue to do so for hepatitis C without interferon. We will just get rid right. of interferon. Let's throw that medication away. Exactly. The other thing is, do we know yet, uh, there certainly are no longitudinal studies yet regarding any uh, side effects as related to uh, uh, the hep C uh, um, uh, good news cure. None of the side effects, the dreaded side effects from interferon, are part of the new pills at all. So these okay. new pills are very well tolerated, very safe overall. We don't have to worry about depression anymore. Okay, well, that's uh, good to know. And once again, thank you for um, your resolute uh, and good work. And as a matter of fact, uh, Dr. Chen is a good buddy of mine, and I uh, understand he's going to be uh, a torchlighter. So, um, Dr. Philip Chen is one of our heroes, so yes, he'll be joining us. He's great. And anyway, I'll see you down by uh, the Riverside. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, and thank you so much, Dr. Taylor. It's uh, been a real privilege to work with you. I was at the dinner in your honor uh, two months ago, and it was amazing to hear all these tributes to you from your students, from your colleagues. Um, um, We're delighted to have an opportunity to help move the needle in new ways to bring public awareness of hepatitis C. Well, thank you again, and any good work I've done here is due to the great colleagues and mentors I've had in medicine in Rhode Island. So thank you, Barnaby, for the opportunity. Thank you, Bronwyn. One thing we should mention is your husband, Boris Bailey, is donating two pieces, which are going to be available by lottery for people who go down to be screened on College Street. And among the people who fill out the paperwork for that, they'll be choosing winners for several art pieces, which will be on display on Washington Street. So that's another way of tying the arts in. We also have some other guests here we want to talk to. Um, we've got uh, Gendo Taiko playing at Waterfire. But here in the studio, we have the artistic director and the um, public relations director for Festival Ballet Providence. And we've worked with Festival Ballet Providence on several times on doing interesting, interactive ways with the arts, and we're delighted to have them here. So tell me a little bit about the summer program you've been doing and where we're going to go from that for this Saturday. Well, thank you for having us, Barnaby. Um, you know, this is a very exciting time for the company. Um, the, uh, the professional company is off in the summer, um, but we always are very, very busy with... Um, our summer dance intensive, which is um, made up of about 59, 60 students who have come from, from all over the U.S. From right? all over the U.S., uh, many yeah. of them from from the region, but uh, a handful of them have come from around the country um, to train uh, for a four-week program. Um, and this is really culminating. This event at Waterfire is going to be culminating a lot of their hard work over the past four weeks. All of the four pieces, with the exception of the one classical piece. Um, uh, there's five pieces total, and four of the pieces that we're going to see at Waterfire this weekend were created in this four-week span, um, expressly for this purpose and to raise awareness for hepatitis C. So it's really, like you said, um, artists working with artists to advance an agenda that's far bigger than just ourselves. Right. And more knowledge. And uh, much of the music you chose is baby boomer sort of music. It's music from that period. Yeah, it's music that is going to be recognizable. And the, the, the premise where this really started from, where this project started from, was that if you recognize the music from your time period, of course, these are tunes that we're all gonna, going to recognize. But if this, was, um, if this music was um, something that you were... Um, kind of coming of age when it was popular. This is um, an indication for you um, that you might have been at risk and that you might might get tested. Um, the the music that we've chosen, that the choreographers have themselves chosen, um, ranges from the Beatles, 
uh, to Etta James to Crosby, Stills and Nash. So we're really running the gamut from nice. uh, yeah from soul to um, to of course the Beatles, who were you know the most pervasive band of that generation and probably to date. Yeah. So um, so this is very recognizable music, but it's it's advancing something like we said earlier in the show that is the silent epidemic, and it's. Um, really important for us to raise um, awareness um, the way that we can as artists. Um, and uh, this is something that Waterfire has been doing for many, many years, with um, first and foremost with the Gloria Gemma Waterfire. Um, but this is, such a, this is such a different avenue to go down um, and a different, m- much more dif- a much different um, epidemic. Sure. Um, and yeah. of course, um, e- equally worthy, but uh, this is such an interesting venture for us. I think and I artists. think your choreographers were looking at the ratio of 1 in 30 and this idea that people may have it, may not be aware that they have it, and also questions of that there is a cure, that it is possible that there's a bright future for this now. The choreographers were looking at a lot of different aspects of this, um, from the literal infection with the disease and the pain that that causes um, and the the the, um, the emotional pain that that causes to the loss of a loved one or estrangement from society so um, these are very um, deep concepts and um, and not necessarily depressing but um, the the works are deeply emotional and um, I think uh, there is uh, one of the choreographers I think Louisa Chapman, uh, said it very nicely, and she said, when res- researching um, hepatitis C for this project, what most struck me were the testimonials of those affected by the disease. There was a pervading sense of loneliness and fear as ignorant friends turned against them, not knowing how the disease was spread. Parents feared that their children's schools would find out and in many cases expel the child. And this is just heartbreaking. It, well, and it's also in not medically <laughs> valid or... Of course. Or, or and sig- you know, it's, it's one of the things we'd like to counter. That is not how hepatitis is, C is spread. Of course. And that we actually have very good treatments in place now. And, you know, we went through, as a society, you know, we went from such a, to such a deep low during the AIDS epidemic. Um, with this concept that s- a disease that we know, that science knows to be completely not transmittable from person-to-person contact, um, could could cause so much, um, you know, hate and um, vitriol in the society. Yeah. Um, there was a choreographer by the name of Bill T. Jones who was one of the most, uh, you know, daring and uh, controversial choreographers of, um, of his generation um, who was tackling through dance, who was tackling um, the AIDS epidemic, his partner, Arnie Zane. Together they founded the uh, Bill T. Jones Arnie Zane Dance Company. And um, Arnie Zane died in 1988 of AIDS. Um, Bill T. Jones pretty much spent the rest of his career choreographing um, and tackling um, this really completely uh, mischaracterized disease. And he tackled it by creating inspired pieces that and th- what uh, what intrigued us about the collaboration with Festival Ballet mm-hmm. where uh, Festival Ballet Providence has been I think one of the Rowan is blessed with many great members of the arts community but I'm always intrigued with the way you can get a message across in a new way to a new audience and that's often what's happening with public health is the people who need to hear the message may not be getting it through the normal channel so we welcome these sort of opportunities yeah and we and we of course embrace them because this is um you know the arts as you know need to um need to advance beyond um you know i think ballet is is quite often seen as kind of a stuffy art form uh like many of the traditional uh, not at festival ballet (laughs) but yes of course not at festival ballet and and in in indeed many um ballet companies across the country 
we are looking forward to new avenues, new content that we can um, that we can address and we can tackle. Um, it's not unique to festival. This is, um, but we're very proud to to advance that um, to advance that agenda that is becoming. Uh, it's going to move the uh, the art form forward. It's going to keep us relevant. Um, it's going to allow us to reach a new audience. Um, and of course, these are very young dancers who are right. who are addressing a disease that they will probably never have to have to encounter in their lives. Their parents and their grandparents. Of course. Well, we want to get the message to them as well. And just for some um, technical uh, information for the listeners, this will be held on the stage in Water Place Basin. Uh, people should probably try to get there around 8 o'clock. There are uh, five dances you're doing, mm-hmm. and they start around uh, 8.15 or something like that, but I'd like people to get in place. And it is um, integrated into the entire lighting ceremony we're doing with Dr. Taylor and Rhode Island Defeats Epsi. We've got about 100 torchbearers who are sort of the front line of what people have been doing in revolutionizing this approach to hepatitis C. Dr. Holmberg from the CDC will be leading the first torch up, but it's integrated into your performance. The Gendo Taiko uh, drummers will also be performing. And I think it's going to be quite a, a fascinating evening to witness and be a part of. And we're so delighted to have... You know, festival ballet right at the heart of that. A water fire uh, never ceases to make uh, make an entrance, and uh, we're very proud to be a part of that. Um, the, like you said, it's going to be part of the program, um, and we're going to have. Um, it's going to. I believe the lighting is going to be in the middle of our program, following uh, the the Beatles piece, uh, the which Eleanor is the Eleanor Rigby piece. The I Eleanor Rigby that, piece, yeah, yeah. which is um, uh, th- that is actually the only piece in the program that represents that has uh, some of our professional company dancing, and that would be Alex Lance and Elizabeth Mochizuki, who are two of our f- uh, fantastic um, dancers who will be partnering um, in a uh, piece. You heard a quote from Louisa Chapman. She is the um, the woman that choreographed the piece for this purpose, and um, we're very excited uh, to to see what happens. It's going to be it's going to be a really beautiful evening. Now we'll have links for that on the uh, radio station, and we'll also have links on that on Waterfire org forward slash radio. We're very much looking forward to it. Thank you. And we'll be right back with you in a few minutes. And we are back, and you are listening to Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island here on AM790, your station for talk and business. And we've been talking to Dylan Giles, the marketing director from Festival Ballet, um, who's just been telling us about some of the great performances that we're going to see uh, on Saturday. And uh, we spent a lot of time. It's called the Sea Project, is what you've named these five performances, right, Dylan? That's right. Um, of course, we're advancing. We're talking about hepatitis C, um, and we're using dance as it has been used for many, many years in the past to advance a vehicle, uh, to be a vehicle for social change and social awareness. Um, and we're very, very happy to work with Waterfire. Um, who has been doing that since day one. And, you know, it was funny. When you, we were just closing out, you said a lot of people see ballet as a, uh, I'm going to put in air quotes here, a <laughs> stuffy, I guess, art form. And that is so not true. Festival Ballet does so many different things. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your Up Close on Hope? I mean, Misha Jurek, your director, your artistic director, is just so fabulous and has created a lot of these different programs. Um, yeah, th- thank, well, thank you very much. We uh, we pride ourselves in, um, in being being able to take it what is a classical art form um, and 
uh, move it forward based on uh, classical repertory and classical technique. You know, we do um, we do the classics, but we we are very proud and we are very um, uh, most of our repertory. The one that uh, the repertory that really excites our audience base is the uh, is the contemporary, forward-looking, edgy, abstract, provocative. There's enough. Uh, <laughs> there's enough adjectives for it. Um, I could go on and on, but um, it is, uh, you know, the way that ballet is going to stay relevant, like I said before, um, and it is the best way for us to um, to tackle some issues that we could never have tackled in the past. Um, you know, uh, ballet is not about swans and fairies anymore. Um, those ballets are certainly part of our history, and we need to recognize that. But um, of course, you know, contemporary um, productions is our is now the bread and butter of the industry. So, how often does the Up Close on Hope um, program happen? Or so you're referring to our studio shows, which take place on Hope Street. Um, so we've named them Up Close on Hope because they're intimate. Um, and the audience sits very close. Uh, it is a very, and very... And they're wonderful. It, they they, well, they really are something people need to go see. The, um, as the well as the performances in the large theaters. It's, uh, it's, um, we have such a wide range, it's impossible to even put it into one perspective. But Up Close on Hope um, really shows, um, again, within Up Close on Hope, you see a wide range of, of, of pieces and styles. Um, and it's, of course, a such a close, intimate venue. Um, and we hope everybody will see it. Absolutely, Dylan. Uh, thank you so much for being with us well, today. Thank you. I, I, before we, uh, I want to thank uh, uh, Dylan who's here and Misha who's also here and uh, Dr. Taylor who's here um, for this project. I did want to offer one more voice here. Um, we received yesterday a poem from Donald Daly. And I want to read the last stanza of this poem because he actually wrote it um, thinking about this water fire event that's happening. C in hep C is for cure with dignity, decency, doing what's right, true, and pure. We hold this festival to lastingly ensure that we use the health tools afforded, nurses, doctors, medicines, clinics, and each other, to combat this deadly virus, Hep C. Let us help to save you and me. Hallelujah. And that's a, a wonderful poem by uh, Donald Daly that we want to end on that and urge everyone to come down to see Waterfire July 26th at Waterplace Basin. Yeah, and so thank you again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. Um, tune in next week for more Waterfire Ignites Rhode Island, and hopefully we'll see you down by the river this Saturday. If you've missed any of this um, program, you can see it at www.business790.com, um, and there'll be a podcast. And I'd also like to put a big shout-out to our sponsor, Gilead, because without them, we would not be able to have this fire. Thank you. And their research brought us this cure as well. Yes. So, see you next week. <laughs>